Attention. 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 Rosetta Stone invites you to be a part of its biggest language learning event in history. Because in 2011, we want to help 3 million people learn a new language. That's why we're going to give you an absolutely free demo of our language immersion technology. Call 1-800-522-1164. Developed to fully immerse you in your new language, the Rosetta Stone solution is easier than ever before. For your free demo, call 1-800-522-1164. 1-800-522-1164. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Dream Reality New Earth Radio, reminding you that the choice is yours. I'm Dr. Dream with my co-host Ilya Nabokovsky, and now on with the show. everyone. It is uh, November the 15th, 2011. I am your host this evening, Dr. Dream, and, and our co-host. And I am Ilya Nabokovsky. Yay, Dr. Dream, another week on New Earth Radio. I love this. I love this. Now, tell me, was it just me or did... did <laughs> are you hearing an echo? No, um, I, I'm not hearing an echo. Why is um, is, is something uh, going on with the sound on on our end? <laughs> I think I just identified what's up. I had the uh, the broadcast open. Okay, I'm okay. No matter how it sounds. Well, here we are. We'll just move right past that little glitch that was my own little glitch. And um, wow, you know, <laughs> it is. It's it's November 15th. You know what that means, Ilya? What does that mean, Dr. Dream? Tell us. It means that we've just experienced 11-11-11 and 11-11 on that day. That's right. We had two 11-11s on 11-11-11. Oh, my goodness. I knew, I knew that the broadcast tonight was going to be a lot of fun. And I'm in an exceptionally wonderful mood. And our guest tonight, I mean, i got to believe that her energy has everything to do with that also. But there's um, just swirling positive energy all around me, and I'm, um, I'm, I'm basking in it. And I think I, there for a moment I was getting a little lost in it. Um, so tell me, you're on the East Coast. You're, you're anchoring the dream reality, New Earth um, energy um, on the East Coast, New York City, Brooklyn. What um, what did you do for 11-11? Well, 11-11 was a really 
interesting day for me, and it's really interesting because so many people have uh, been inviting me to different events and workshops, and they all sounded really wonderful. However, I still there's something inside me that couldn't decide on which workshop or which event or what I should even do. So I just said, you know what, I'm going to let it unfold. I'm going to live here and now, and whatever happens on 11-11, so be it. And a friend of mine invited me to uh, his event in Manhattan, and I said, great. It was it was already 11-11. I had no plans, and I was like, great, let's go. I am I'm ready to go. And... As I'm going through my day, um, actually just the energy of that that day itself was so powerful. I, I literally felt a shift in in my being. I literally felt like I have evolved to a higher level of dimension or whatever you want to call it. And so on that day, um, as I was planning on going to this event, things just started to morph and change. And I'll tell you a quick anecdote of what happened. Um, I met an amazing, beautiful, beautiful angel who I am so grateful uh, that she and I are um, able to share such magnificent space together. And I'm honestly honored to call her uh, my beloved. And I was going to bring her to the event on 11-11-11. And I I was seeing this all unfolding perfectly. And as time continued to go on, um, something has come up, and we weren't able to go to the event. And we ended up going to a completely different area and just spending 11-11-11 with each other's energy, just sharing the peace and the quietness and the love. And that was all I could have ever asked for. And so that has really taught me that, you know, it's it's so important to just go with the flow and live in the moment and whatever happens, just allow it to unfold because it it is all perfect always. Wow. I I love that. Yeah, how do you like that? (laughs) (laughs) You know, you just brought up a lot in that last little bit Um, and I'm going to skip past all the 11.11 stuff and um, uh, jump, jump in. I mean, did you did you just describe someone as your beloved? Yes, and this is the first time I'm actually mentioning this to you and I guess to everybody that's listening. So yeah, I am and um it just jumped into my lap and I <laughs> I wasn't expecting it, but I could not have, you know, been in the most perfect place. And what what else is interesting is that on the day that our interaction first took place, I was going to have an event and I was planning this event that I was telling you about um, early in the month of October. And, I, and it never happened to actually manifest. And now I know why. And I'm just like, wow, that's, that's just incredible. The synchronicities are just beyond imaginable to me. Wow. So, I'm loving this. You know, I mean, we do talk a couple times during the week, you know, before and after the broadcast. And But I do appreciate you holding back really big information and then catching me off guard during the actual broadcast. I I, <laughs> I think that's quite clever. I, 
I'd like to enlighten you with with things that 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 won't catch you off guard. Um, you know, so before the broadcast, and 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 I, I like how you're sort of um, changing up the game here a little bit. But congratulations! Yeah, to you. I mean, I, I think it's a, I think it's a good challenge for you, you know, to kind of like move up to the next level and you know see how <laughs> see how uh, you can work with these new energies. <laughs> So, brother, oh my goodness. Uh, tell me, tell me, what did you do on your eleven eleven? I'm sure it must have been an amazing experience for you. Well, yes, we had um, the alch- alchemy event metamorphosis in um, Los Angeles, and uh, Saeed David Farman uh, puts this on. It's his fourth event. Um, we, it's it's a three. This was a three day event. Eleven um, eleven and the 12th and the 13th. And uh, uh, my beloved, my sacred union partner, Laura Eisenhower, and I um, had quite a bit of um, uh, uh, responsibility for, you know, in this conference, and we were thrilled about it. We did a galactivation experience during, um, on the morning of um, 11-11-11 and into the time of 11-11, and it was beautiful. Um, and it was all done live on a global webcast. So before I even left the event, Ilian, you'll love this, I have all the videos. I did the Galactivation Experience. We have a video of it. I did, um, and that I'm wearing, of course, my ceremonial whites. And then we did the... Um, I, I presented my uh, breakthrough, you know, the breakthrough to empowerment pared down into right. an hour or so. And that, of course, I'm wearing a sport coat and everything. We got that on video. Um, I moderated the panel with um, Laura and a number of other speakers. Uh, Laura presented, and then Laura was on the, the 2012 panel, and then we did the closing panel um, of the conference. And it was... It was stellar, and I got home, um, or I, I woke up Monday morning, and there's a message on my Facebook wall uh, from a new Facebook friend in New Zealand who said, it was great seeing you on the live webcast, and I got to tell you, you know, technology, this, is, th- this world has never been smaller than it is now, and I love that, and it's so easy to share and connect and and um you know for all of us to be there with in 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 all of these wonderful events and things it's it's exciting absolutely and let me say that this is just the beginning and the world needs dr dream on video um <laughs> dr dream needs to be on youtube i'm telling you because if you have not experienced a galactivation um please you you must go and experience and if not um I will do whatever I can to um, assist in the process of, you know, uh, putting out videos and anything that I can do because, honestly, I mean, from all of the different modalities that I've experienced, going through a galactivation is like nothing you would ever, ever imagine, and it's, it's better than anything you can possibly imagine. 
Well, we it was certain. I appreciate that, Elia. Your your words um, touch me, and I uh, I mean you speak from from experience because I mean what you've been there for like fifty galactivations or something like that. <laughs> I gotta believe it's more than that because we did thirty six in two months last summer, and then we just kept going and kept going. But it's um it was powerful, and it was powerful on eleven eleven, and it just it felt great, and then um. And and then I did a, a Galactivation last night in Los Angeles. That's right. Why don't you tell us about that uh, unique experience? So last night was number 133 in the last nice. 22 months in 88 cities around the world. And i got to believe it was about the most unique of any of the ones we've ever done. Really? Um, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> um, got me a little stumped there, but uh, what was so unique about it? Well, it was at a dispensary, um, a marijuana dispensary um, in Los Angeles, downtown Los Angeles. And, um, you know, for the Galactivations, we really like people to be very clear-headed and um you know we ask that they they don't even you know we prefer that they don't even drink sodas in the 12 hours before let alone smoke anything or drink anything or ingest anything and um so i I walk into the room and they're setting all my stuff down and it's sort of the lounge there and there's vaporizers and pipes on the tables and everyone's um you know partaking in the medicine um smoking and um, I yeah. said to my host, I said, well, where, where am I doing the galactivation? And he said, right here in this room. <laughs> <laughs> it, it felt, I came home and told Laura, it felt like, you know, I had just done a galactivation in like Amsterdam or something. And, um, but it was, it was great. It was very powerful. Um, and, and what's nice, and, and uh, you and I and our, our guests tonight, um, before the, the broadcast started, we're talking about this, it gave me an opportunity to just let go of the way I, you know, think things should be, my structure and my, you know, oh, it has, Dr. Green says it has to be this way. And um, not that I have any judgments about, um, you know, uh, marijuana as a medicine or anything like that. But um, it's just not something I, I would have thought I'd be doing, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. The energy was great. Um, you know, and with the help of the medicine for the people, they were able to slip right into theta state, and, and it was a powerful, powerful um, experience, and I've been invited back. So um, just goes to show you, you know, just it, there's this thing about just going with the flow and being – present and everything like that and so good stuff all the way around that's for sure absolutely i i'm so with you about you know just not judging the various medicines and the tools um, because you know that's all they are they're tools that assist us in our process of evolution and some of us um you know use the tools and it helps them and for some people it doesn't so we're all different and it's so important to respect other people's choices and beliefs. Um, so I'm really glad that you had uh, that kind of an experience and um, can finally, you know, come to terms with um, any kind of belief systems that you know might have been blocking um, that sort of a that sort of an experience to happen. Absolutely right. I'm I'm loving this, and so 
I want to I want to move. I mean, our guest tonight. I, I just want to move right into to introducing our guest. Um, yeah. I you know you know a lot of um, our guests. I find myself following on Facebook for a while uh, before we invite them to the show, and I'm not following them ever, thinking that oh this person could be a good guest. And so tonight's guest. Um, and and I have been I I don't know how long we've been Facebook friends but um for a while now and I, and so you know I have the opportunity um to to see what she's posting and I, and you tap into you know Facebook's an interesting thing you you really have the opportunity to tap into someone's energy and um I found myself uh you know liking giving the thumbs up to 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 quite a few of the things that that Marie was putting out there, and and so, and then then thinking about uh you know a guest for for the the program after eleven 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 and and just at this time and and everything she she was a natural. Now I've got to tell you I, I'm going to give a brief um, introduction to Marie, but but the the interesting thing is Marie's introduction could last for the entire length of the show. I mean, author, producer, screenwriter, speaker, researcher, radio host. And i got to believe there's probably a few things that she hasn't added to the list because she just didn't want to overwhelm people. And so (laughs) she is really quite accomplished, and it is our absolute joy and pleasure tonight to have as our guest, Marie D. Jones. Marie, are you with us? I am here. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for for joining us. I'm um you know, I didn't when I when I see things on Facebook and this and that, I don't go the to the site and everything. I mean, as soon as I, I thought, well Marie I think could be a good guest. She's got some great things to say and I went to your site um, I mean, we've had authors on the show, um, but yeah. we've had authors that have written like one book. Um, I, I think we had an author that wrote two books. We may have had an off- author that wrote three books. But Marie, um, as I look on your your your, your site, you have written twelve books. <laughs> so I mean, I'm. I I don't impress easily, really, but I've been working on my one book for. I mean, it's it's shelved at the moment, but you know, I started <laughs> on it about oh, six no, years no. ago, and it I imagine in, <laughs> I imagine in that time you you probably put out in six years you probably put out six or eight books or something. You you've got it. I mean, this has just got to be. Are you writing all the time, or does no. it just are are you does no. it just flow through? You? You know, I learned a long time, because I've been writing since I was a kid. I've been publishing consistently, um, you know, first starting, anything I could do. When I was a teenager, I started writing movie reviews and video reviews and short stories and this, that, and the other thing, just consistently um, putting work out there constantly, because that's just, I mean, I'm just a workaholic. I love to do it. But over the the years that I've been writing nonfiction, I've kind of gotten it down to a science where I spend a lot of time not writing. Most of what I do is research. And when that is all done, really what 
putting together a nonfiction book is just really getting the research down and uh, in, a, in an order that makes sense. You, know, you start with a proposal. And the good thing about nonfiction for people who are trying to write a book is that you don't have to write the whole book to get a book deal. You know, you write it off of a proposal. So I don't ever write a book without knowing that I have a deal in place. And then once you have the deal in place, you have a deadline and you have a contract. And let me tell you, <laughs> that helps you get it done. Um, but sure. I don't spend a lot of time writing. I probably spend most of my time researching. Um, but I'm, you know, I work at home. I write full time, so I'm kind of working at all hours. And I also write fiction. I've got a novel I just finished. I have um, my fifth screenplay. I actually have one in development. Um, you know, I just I'm always writing. That's all I ever really feel like doing. I don't go out a lot. <laughs> Well, I mean, I'm I'm really impressed. Now, before we move into some of the other things you're doing, um, it's just a natural to to ask about one of your books mm-hmm. um, right now, and that's Eleven Eleven: The Time Prompt. Right. And so, tell us a little bit about this book. When did you put it out? And um, talk to us about you know, since we're just off the Eleven Eleven date, which brought up you know right. the, the right. time exactly. thing for people. Um, that book has been out for a few years. It's uh, the best-selling book that I've done with – I work with a co-author on some books, Larry Flaxman. It's our best-selling book. And it's been out for a few years, and it actually was the very first book that we wrote together when we decided to partner. And it was our publisher's idea to look into the 1111 phenomenon, to which we responded, huh? <laughs> because at the time, neither one of us had had – any experience with the 1111 time prompts, which, of course, millions of people all over the world are seeing. We, Mine had always been 333. I always wake up at 333 every night. I see it all the time. I see threes all the time. I'm a big three person. And Larry, it was a little bit different. I think his was twos. And So anyway, we started to look into this phenomenon, and we were just blown away by how global it is and what the reach of, of it was. And we we then started having 1111s all the time and we would joke about it you know we'd email each other and then somebody would email back and go hey look at the timestamp it was 1111 uh uh-huh, you know and it really became kind of a fun inside thing for us as writers but it is just an amazing phenomenon it is uh global like i said it surpasses any kind of religious beliefs or or cultural or traditional beliefs People of all walks of life are having this time prompt. And like you said, we just celebrated 11-11-11, which sort of amplified the importance. Um, but what we found was the reason why 11-11 is so important is because of its association with December 21st, 2012, which everyone is looking forward to, half with anticipation and half with dread, um, wondering what's going to happen. But anyway, apparently the winter solstice begins that day at 11, 11 a.m. Greenwich Mean Time. <coughs> Excuse me. So that's where a lot of the association comes from. You have people having 11, 11 time prompts and feeling that they're sort of wake-up calls from the universe to kind of get ready for whatever's going to happen in 2012. I love that, and mm-hmm. uh, you have a book also, uh, 2013, The End of Days or a New Beginning, and as we're uh, talking about, you know, dates and stuff, we just had a major date that passed, and it was October 28th. 
2011. Right. And according to Carl Kalman, <laughs> he sees this as a very significant date. So I just want to see what your opinion is about that. Well, you know, my feeling is the reason why I wrote that book is because I had a lot of people asking me, what what is this all about? And I thought, you know, I really need to put together a sort of 2012 for dummies kind of one-stop shopping book where I really wanted to cover every prophecy, prediction, mythology that you could possibly think of. And Carl John Kellerman, who had some really amazing research, had pegged the beginning date of the Mayan long count calendar earlier uh, with a with an end date that came earlier. And the thing is that the the date passed without any kind of event, uneventfully, I guess you could say. But that was only one of several dates that are being argued about, and it just shows how difficult it is to interpret the mythology and the beliefs and traditions of another culture, especially one that that existed a long time ago, you know, and was conquered by Spaniards and had their mythology pretty much rewritten. And so we have two upcoming end dates that we're now looking at, and one is December 21st and the other is December 23rd. Uh, but at the same time, you know, there's really not much in the Mayan mythology that says that this is going to be the end of the world. Instead, there's a lot of suggestion that it is the end of a cycle and the beginning of a new one. And a lot of ancient cultures lived uh, off of the cycles of nature, the cycles of the planets and the stars, and it was something very natural to them. It didn't necessarily mean the end of the world so much as the end of a particular way of being and of a new one. Fascinating. Now, tell me what um, what is your take on you know exactly what's happening? I mean, what what are you expecting? I mean, you know, just uh, I'll interject something here. On um, I felt an energetic shift on um, the twenty eighth, twenty ninth of October. Mm-hmm. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? Was that just me? having had a, a few challenging months energetically building up to it, and then it was like, ooh, all right, we're past that. And, and <laughs> looking at about for myself, um, you know, I'm not quite sure, but but so what are you thinking um, here in the next um, 13 months for all of us? I think we're already seeing that things are getting really tense. Things are getting difficult, challenging. Um, my feeling is that, at the end of any cycle or any period of time, right before great change, there is a, a, a period of resistance. We always resist change before we give in to it, before we accept it. And I think that's what we're going through now is that resistance period where we're all being called upon to either adapt or perish, basically. So you're going through a resistance period. You know there's change coming down the pike. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to hide your head in the sand? Are you going to run for cover? Are you going to um, react in fear, which I see a lot of people doing? Uh, some people are going with the flow. Others are anticipating with you know great delight the coming, what I like to call, paradigm shifts. When I started my research years ago, because the book's been out for a few years, I always say it has such a short shelf life because <laughs> after 2012, nobody will buy it. But you know, <laughs> but it's really, uh, I was told by Barnes & Noble that it was their best-selling 2012 book. And I'm really proud of that because it's a very objective book. You know, It really looks at not just the different 
um, scenarios, but also the realistic challenges that we're facing that we really got to pay attention to. So when I started my research, I never, ever thought that the apocalyptic Armageddon scenarios were going to happen because I knew from my religious studies and, you know, from the years past that those were Western traditions. Those were interpretations that we Westerners kind of placed upon someone else's mythology. The Mayans do talk about cataclysmic things, but but not in the sense that, um, you know, the Armageddon apocalyptic sense that the Western traditions do. And we sort of hijacked their end date without really having anything in the Bible that corresponded with it. But what really started to, to kind of make me come around to the idea that something big is happening is the time acceleration and the, um, you know, just the sheer exponential increase of technology, of computer processing, the amount of information that is coming towards us that our brains and our consciousness are being asked to process every day is increasing like a snowball effect. And the idea that at some point we will reach a singularity where we will know everything instantaneously, that I really feel is coming. And I think along with that comes either a spiritual ascension of some sort or you crumble in fear. And again, it's that sort of adapt or perish um, choice that we're all going to have to make. We either ascend in consciousness to deal with the speed of life or we get run over. And that's probably the best way for me to put it. Gotcha. So, <clears throat> I mean, it, it, it is wild to watch um, everything going on, and, you know, particularly uh, in the last um, almost two months, uh, the Occupied movement. Oh, amazing. And, mm-hmm. yeah, so... Talk to me just a little bit about that. I mean, I, I know you just said about, you know, the resistance to change and, and this and that, but, but I'd love to get your take on, on the Occupy movement. I think it's amazing, finally. You don't know for how many years I've been saying, when the hell are Americans going to hit the streets? <laughs> I don't even care what they hit the streets over. You know, get off your lazy butts and take a stand for something. You know, this happened, <clears throat> I mean, it's been going on forever. You know, this. I, I'm a child of the 60s. I remember those days. Um, But what's really neat is that we are coming up on a paradigm shift. We can't continue to live by the old paradigm of corporate power and greed and raping and pillaging the environment. So slowly but surely, we've seen revolutions and uprisings in other countries. And because of the Internet and, and YouTube and Twitter and Facebook, those revolutions and uprisings have gone global. And they've come into our living rooms where we sit and complain and moan about our lives, even though they're you know mostly pretty great. Um, but then it allows us to to realize that we can take a look at the things that aren't working that aren't working here in America, and we can do something about it. You know, and all of a sudden, you have people deciding that they're going to get out there and emulate what they saw in other nations, and they're going to stand up for you know, economic justice and equality, and they're going to occupy, and they're not going to leave, they're not going to move, they're they're going to civil disobedience if they have to. And I just watched in glee at this happening, and uh, it's continuing, it's still happening. You know, the, the um, union protests in Wisconsin and Ohio and all of the things that have been happening lately where working people are saying, we are so tired 
of being used, you know, by the system. And all of this is leading up to a shift in paradigm, a change of paradigm. Uh, we can't fix the one we live in. I think it's too broken to fix. So I think now we have to structure a new paradigm to live by. And I think that's what all this uprising is, is about, shifting the foundation, breaking it up, you know, breaking up the cement blocks so you could put in a new foundation. Absolutely. Um, I completely agree with you. And I love how you um, really describe these things in a very simplistic and down-to-earth manner. Now, I want to know, were you born awakened or how how did your awakening <laughs> take place? You know, please tell us your story. I was born nuts <laughs> from what I hear. No, I <laughs> I have been since birth the most imaginative thing you could imagine. Um I've just I've always been extremely aware, observant and had a very overactive imagination and it's not always served me well, um, but I've been a, a rebel and a hellraiser since I was really young, and I was a big part of the animal rights movement in the 80s um, with the Animal Liberation Front, and I was a part of the anti-nuclear movement. I've been around, you know. <laughs> a lot of people don't realize how old I am, but um, I just I grew up in that era. I mean, when I was really, really young, I lived in New York, and I remember being at a candy store down at the bottom of the hill we lived in, and there were people en route to Woodstock. There were hippies, and I was, like, really, really little. And I remember being in the candy store, and all of a sudden I looked up next to me, and there was a, a girl and a guy hippie buying some sodas and snacks to head up, you know, to Woodstock. And I just looked at them with such awe, like, ooh, I want to be you when I grow up. And I, I've just <laughs> always been, I think, I've been a writer since the day I came out of the womb, and I've been aware and observant and imaginative and never saw things the way they were. I always kind of saw them the way that they could be. Beautiful. So were there any uh, moments in your life or experiences that triggered you or um, something that was really um, that changed your life in particular? A lot of them. Um, there definitely have been signposts towards my destiny along the way. Um, I, You know, I knew since I was very young I was going to be a, a storyteller and a writer. In fact, I, uh, my, you guys remember the reel-to-reel, or maybe you don't, I don't know how young you are, but the reel-to-reel video recorders from way back when. Yeah. My yeah. mom found a tape, and we had the recorder, and it was barely working, of the moon landing. And my family was all together watching it on, on the little black-and-white TV, and I'm in the foreground. I mean, this is history being made, okay? And I'm in the foreground telling a ghost story. So here I am ruining this historical tape, you know. <laughs> my grandfather and my dad are in the background going, ooh, ah. And I'm, so I knew there were always little things like that that happened along the way that really set in stone what I was supposed to be doing. I haven't had a whole lot of what you could, you could call paranormal experiences, but I've had a few mystical experiences where I um, kind of saw the bigger picture, maybe during a meditation. And I've just always been really in tune with the deeper level of everything. And I have to tell you that it's not always served me. Um, you know, I think along with that comes a certain sensitivity where you 
I'm so empathic. I feel a lot of pain that isn't mine often, and I it's that's been a real hard thing for me to work with. It, it's like when you're really observant and you're really compassionate and you're really feeling everything going on in the world, it can overwhelm you. So I have a lot of trouble trying to balance staying detached and yet at the same time being involved. I understand that for sure. Yeah. Now, now let me ask. Um, oh, boy, it's right on the tip of my tongue. And it's it's absolutely just escaped me in this moment. Um, so you've got all sorts of all sorts of things going on, and and now I am I'm back right with my question. Um, <laughs> you know, one of the things that we talk about um, a lot, um, certainly in the Galactivation experience that we take around the world and everything, is um, the why of of a person's existence. You know, I, I get to share, um, you know, the why of my existence with people, which is right. exactly what I'm what I'm doing, and, and I go into it a little bit. Tell, tell us a little bit about the, the why of your existence. I mean, you're so... I, I just... I, I've got your website in front of me, mariedjones.com, and, and you've got so much going on. I just would love to hear how this fits into what you feel about your life purpose well i've again i've always known my destiny i'm one of those freaky people that knew literally from the day that i could be aware of it that i was going to be somebody who expressed myself through writing i do a lot of speaking too but mainly through writing and um i mean that's always driven me no matter what i was doing in life that was the path that i continued to to stay on if I got off that path I paid the price for it and was either gently or not so gently nudged back on Um, my feeling is that before I die I want to die empty of the things that I want to say and the stories I want to tell and it's been really hard because I'm a single mom and I you know my son comes first I do work a lot but I, I mean just so many ideas and so many things that I want to write and only so much time during the day. But I really have this strong uh, sense of being compelled that I need to get this stuff that's in me out there before I die. And I, I'm i driven. I'm, I'm incredibly ambitious. People don't always understand why, but that's it. I mean, I feel like I need to do this. I need to get this stuff out there. I don't know why. Some of it people will read and hopefully learn and grow from. Others, who knows, maybe nobody will ever see it, but it's just I feel really compelled to do it. And I think, again, it's my destiny. And so share with us, you've got the 12 books. I'm looking at all the covers right now. Um, You mentioned that the 11.11, the the time prompt phenomenon, that that book was brought to you by your publisher. Right, right. You know, or that the concept was to to go ahead and do mm-hmm. that. Is that the way it is on the other eleven, or have you and your um, your sometime co-writer, um, you know, come up with your own? Like, gee, this is really something of interest to us. Usually, um, it's either my you know my choice. I want to write about this, or my partner and I, Larry, and say we want to write about that. But I got to tell you, my publisher, New Page Books, they are so savvy 
they have uh, Michael Pye, who's my publisher, has come up with. Uh, he suggested the 1111 book and the Deja Vu Enigma, writing a little bit about Deja Vu, which was a blast. That book is phenomenal. It is all about the human mind and the power of the human mind and consciousness the difference between brain, mind, yada, yada, yada. And all of that came out of his saying to Larry and I, hey, you guys, and have you ever thought about looking into Deja Vu? So we have a really cool interactive relationship with New Page. Um, but most of the time it's us coming up with something. Or, you know, for example, my dad is a geophysicist. He and I had always wanted to write a book together. So I went to Michael and I said, my dad and I would like to pitch a, a book about supervolcanoes and you know, we went and we wrote this book. So it's really, really hard to write a book that you're not real passionate about the subject matter because you spend a lot of time with that, the research, the promotion, I mean, the writing, the promotion. So if they suggest something to us, like, for example, Larry and I are working on a book now about time travel. We're going to be talking about the most cutting-edge research in time travel and what, what the future looks like. And that was actually suggested to us by our publisher because we're kind of toying around with, well, what do we want to do next? And we were like, oh, we are all for that because we like to write a lot about the paranormal, metaphysics, noetics, science, consciousness, um, human potential. So, you know, I would say maybe every few books the publisher will come up with a great idea that we'll then run with. With the 1111 book, what was interesting is it's, they came up with the idea of doing the time prompts the book turned out to be all about the profound, mysterious nature of numbers and how the universe, the language of the universe is mathematics. And it's a really deep book. I mean, it was really fascinating to research and write because it just went so far beyond just the, the people seeing time prompts. Sure. Now, just you mentioned uh, the time travel. Have you come across my friend um, Andrew Bishago? I have, and I need to interview him. He's on my list. <laughs> of course he is. I hope he'll talk to us. Um, you know, we we don't have a whole lot of time to write this book, and it is very overwhelming with all of the different... We're writing about time travel and time anomalies, like time shifts and time slips. So it's a lot of research, but I would absolutely love to, to get some, you know, first-person information from Andrew. Yeah, I will... I'm, I'm going to send him an email uh, tonight. I would to, love that. Um, I would to make contact with you. Yeah, because he he does probably doesn't know me from Eve. You know, <laughs> I was going to say Adam, right. but Eve. That would be <laughs> wonderful. It's an exciting yeah. book, though. I mean, there's a lot going on. There's a lot a lot of hit or misses, and you know, to me, it's only a matter of time before we we do it. We right. we're doing all kinds of things we never thought twenty, thirty, forty years ago we would do. To me, it's a given that time travel will happen. I don't know if it's going to happen in my lifetime, at least with you know anything bigger than a, a particle, a photon or what have you, but I definitely cannot see it not happening. We, we, the progress that we're making with science and knowledge is, and technology is just astounding. Well, based on everything I've read and, and conversations I have had, I'm pretty much figuring it's already happened. Me too. Um, yeah, <laughs> just, so yeah. when it happens for the masses, uh, you exactly, know. Exactly, exactly. That'll be it's interesting. Now, yeah. Now, 12 books, Marie, do you have, um, and I, I bet there's different levels of how to answer this question, so I'm not going to presuppose what your answer is. Um, so I'll just ask the question. Um, 
you have a favorite or one that um, resonated more deeply with you or touched you more deeply or holds a more special space? I absolutely do. It was my my second nonfiction book, but my first big one called Science, spelled P-S-I-E-N-C-E, and it was all about the links that I had been finding between quantum mechanics, theoretical, speculative physics, and the paranormal. And it was it was the first book that I really I had just, had just gotten an agent, and I said I want to write this book, and she said you can't, you don't have a PhD, you don't have a platform. And I said no, I want to write this book, and I don't know how we did it, but four months later I had a deal, and New Page again gave me a shot. This book has been the most influential book for so many people in the paranormal field, in the metaphysical. I still have people to this day emailing me, this book changed my life. I've read it 85 times. From what I understand, it was one of the biggest broadcasts on coast-to-coast radio when I was on for science. and It, it was a life changer. I met my co-author, Larry Flaxman, through that book because he had read it and was just blown away and it absolutely changed my life, and it's just a perfect example of how sometimes being naive <laughs> and you know wanting to do something and not listening to the the rules because everybody was telling me you can't, you don't have a platform, nobody knows who you are yet, you don't have a PhD, you're not a scientist, and I just said I don't care, I want to write this book, and I'm not quite so naive now. <laughs> even though I should be, because I've the rules a number of times. But it was just such a magical thing to say, I'm going to do this. I don't care what you say, and have it work like that and have it just take me off into this. Because I had really intended on writing screenplays and fiction. This took me off into a whole new path that I'm you know, still on, and I do plan to, to transition back to fiction very soon, uh, but you know, not ignore the nonfiction. But it was just like the most amazing detour that ended up yet being part of my destiny and part of my path. I just thought it was a detour at the time. Now, what year did you write that book, Marie? I think I wrote it in 2004. It was a while ago. Okay, so 2000. I think it came out in 2006 because, you know, you write it long before it gets put out. So I've got to ask you, yeah. when did you write your first book of these 12 books? Of the 12, um, Looking for God in All the, the Wrong Places was my very first book. I wrote that for Paraview Press, and I, oh my gosh, that was, it's got to have been 10 years ago maybe. I, so, I go by where I was living at the time. <laughs> now before that, and in, and actually in between that, I've also written over 100, I've I should say, contributed to over 100 inspirational books where I'm one of two or three other writers. So I was doing that all during that time, too. But in terms of books that I wrote myself or just with a co-author, I think Looking for God was probably almost 10 years ago. You know, um, no matter how you look at this, no matter how you, you know, I, I'm just really impressed. 12 books. Um, you know, out in 10 years? I mean... Yeah, I got yelled at by my publisher to slow down, and then the funny thing is, is every time I say, well, I have this idea for a book, they say, oh, okay, let's do it. I just this morning emailed another idea, you know, thinking I'm not going to, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to take a few months off, and it's, it's just, it's addicting. When I bought Larry Flaxman on, and he wrote the first book, and it was really grueling for him, because he'd never written a book before. 
And then I said, well, is that it? Are you done? <laughs> you know, he, he no, he wanted to do more. You get this bug. You know, once you see one done and in print, it just really, it, it's just so fun. And you realize, you know, there are ideas and things that you're passionate about that you can write about and share with other people. And how cool is that? And I always say to myself, I don't have too many more subjects that I feel that strongly about to write about. And then, you know, I'll wake up the next morning and there's two or three of them. So who knows? Now, I'm looking at your website and you have a book coming soon, Destiny versus Choice. Actually, that and one's out now. Yeah, that one's out oh, now. Oh, is it? Mm-hmm. And it's doing yeah. great. Um, yeah. And I, I, I've always been interested mm-hmm. in, you know, do we actually have free will or is some of it, you know, predetermined? So what is your take on that? My take is that we have both. I think we lean towards destiny. Uh, this is my personal opinion, but even with all the research that I did, and I looked at everything, I looked at philosophy, religion, science, genetics, you know, behavior, everything you could think of, divination systems, um, it really feel it, it really feels to me like there is a blueprint for everything. <clears throat> and yet within the context or the confines of that blueprint, we have a lot of free will as to how we want to move about. Uh, it's almost like you know building a house. You start with a foundation. You start with a blueprint, but you can kind of mix things up on the inside of that house. You have free will to do that, yet you remain within the structure of the blueprint or the foundation. And my life has been like that. I've always felt like I was on a sort of track, like in a, an amusement park when they have the cars on the track. And when you start to get off the track, it kind of gently jerks you back onto the track. And I've always felt like that. I've had the free will to get off that track, but the universe will tell me, no, 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 this is where you need to be. And when I get off the track, I suffer, I pay the price, I'm unhappy, I'm miserable, bad things happen. When I'm on the track, life seems to, even though there's challenges and obstacles, life seems to make sense. It has a purpose. It's going somewhere. So for me, it's definitely both, but with a lean towards destiny. Now, in your opinion, who makes the track in the first place? Oh, that is the question. <laughs> when I wrote the book, too, that's that was the, the big one. Um, I called it First Cause, which I'd actually heard from, from other sources, and I thought, oh, that's the perfect way to describe intelligent design or God or the source or what, whatever you want to call it. First Cause, because if we look at life as a sort of cause and effect chain, you know, what is the first cause? When it comes to things like destiny, predetermination, um, just the idea that there have been things that have been laid down for us that we are stuck with, in a sense, if we don't know the motive and agenda of first cause, it's almost impossible to prove destiny exists. But at the same time, it's impossible to prove free will exists because you could say that every single thing you think you're doing by choice could somehow be laid down in stone. So again, we don't know what first cause is. And because of that, this whole argument becomes about faith. Um, you know, you've got to go on faith. If you really feel that you have a destiny, go for it. If it feels right, if it feels good, if it opens you up, go for it. If it closes you off, if it hurts, if it makes your stomach hurt, don't go for it. I mean, that's your choice. But without really knowing for sure 
who started this all or what started it all and why they did it, we really can't say for sure that either one exists. Now, you mentioned that... Um, thanks. <laughs> you mentioned, Marie, that you have a you have a son? I do. How old is he? He's 10. 10 years old. <laughs> yeah. And what does he think of mom doing all this stuff? I mean... He, uh, he's smarter than me. <laughs> he's very involved. <laughs> he knows about all my work. He knows about the research. He could probably tell you just as much about each of my books as I can. He's very involved with what I do, what I'm working on, um, you know, to the point where he, is, when I was getting ready to write the time travel book, he said, Mommy, isn't mental time travel possible? You know, we, and we started talking about how you can kind of time travel with your imagination. Very much in tune to what I'm doing um, sometimes it's hard because if I'm writing about things that are a little creepy or scary, you know, we talk about it like 2012 and or ghosts and aliens and things like that. But yeah, he's totally into it. He's a tech geek too, so he's really, really into anything futuristic. Um, outer, I love science too, which is great because I am a science freak. I grew up with a scientist father and. You know, I'm a huge science geek. So he's, yeah, he's my little guy. Oh, that's great. Now, how have you changed? How has motherhood changed you in the last 10 years? Oh, boy. Wow. <laughs> that's even harder than any of the other questions. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's nice to have someone else to focus on and worry about. Um, yeah, you know, it takes you out of yourself. And the, the, I think the biggest thing it's done for me is made me more determined to make sure that the idiots that are out there screwing up the planet stop. You know, and I know I can't control all of that, but to do what I can. Because now it's not just about me and my life. It's about my son following after me and not leaving him a terrible mess. Um you know, and it's also about being able to share what I'm learning and have somebody to teach and guide. And he's teaching me. Actually, I think he teaches me more. You know, one of the interesting things that happened is my dad, who um, he got ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, and he's very, very ill. He's in hos uh, extended hospice, in fact. Right when he got sick, my dad, for the last... 10 years or more, had been working on, on climate change. He's a geophysicist, specialized in earthquakes and volcanoes for years, and then started working on uh, climate science. And when he got really sick, he started to get really upset all the time, and one time kind of broke down and said that he was very concerned about my son's future, that there would be a planet for you know my son to live on. Now, my dad has never cried. He's a scientist, very intellectual and yet here he is crying and telling me you know something needs to be done and he asked me basically when he found out how sick he was if i would carry on legacy and learn about climate science and atmospheric science and physics and try to be able to talk about it to people and study and and sending me thousands of links i've read thousands and thousands of pages of documentation, you know, hard stuff, physics. And uh, I've been on Columbia University's website taking 
online classes and this, that, and the other thing. And I'm doing that for my kid. I mean, yes, I love science and I love to learn, but for me, the position that I have as a writer and a speaker, to be able to talk about something with intelligence, that could make a difference to my son's generation. That's that's it. You know, that's the most important thing. Uh, beautiful. And my heart goes out to you about oh, uh, your you. father. Uh, my father had a progressive supernuclear palsy, PSP, oh, wow. which is wow. similar to um, uh, ALS. And wow. um, I was uh, very close to him and spent um, quite a bit of time with him during that process. Um, a tough one, definitely, definitely. Yeah. And at the same time, if I can just uh, say, you know, people wanted to kind of make him the victim after he transitioned and and this and that, and I I, I would always stand up and say, you know, um, there was a silver lining to this. I mean, we had real closure. Right. And I had, and that wouldn't have happened. And my daughter's 11 now, um, and my father transitioned when she was nine, um, but but we we moved from Arizona to California to to be there for his last year and a half, so she could really have that time with him, and and that was a, a wonderful wonderful gift. Right, right. Well, I think that's proof too that sometimes the thing you know we judge something as being tragic and awful, and it is, um, but it also has teaching experiences for everyone involved, and there's a purpose to it. It's again, it ties into the whole idea of destiny that there is a purpose that goes beyond what we can see. We see the tragedy, we see the emotional trauma and the sadness and the disease. What we don't necessarily always focus on until maybe later when we look back, we realize, oh wow, that was a life changing experience, even though the person passed away how they changed everyone around them, how everybody came together. And, you know, my dad and I, the funny thing is, we were never really close. My dad was, he was an alcoholic and was very um, unavailable. And yet I worshipped him. I worshipped science because of him. I learned about science because of him. So when he got sick, and when we wrote Super Volcano, which was right before he got sick, it was an opportunity to kind of, you know, get to know him and get to know the fact that there was an emotional man in there. And so you're right. I mean, sometimes things like that can really open your eyes to what's important, even though they're tragic. Yeah, I really appreciate um, you sharing that. And um, I love that before he got sick that, that you two got to write a book together. I mean, that just... Um, that that really touches me without knowing you or him just based on the filters yeah. of my own experience. I'm like, wow, that's beautiful. It, we, it, we were fortunate. We really wanted to do another one, and he was just too sick to do it. But I'm just so glad and grateful that, you know, we had the fun experience. It was stressful, <laughs> but it was fun, and we got we got to do it. It has our names on it, and it will forever. Oh, that's great. I, what a blessing. I, I love I, I love it. Um, I mean, with, with all the changes that we're going through, Marie, and you know the whole 2012 thing, aside from all the external things that are changing and shifting, a lot of the most of the things are happening on the inside, and oh, we're being are. asked to really, you know, c- you know, uh, connect back with our emotions and open our heart. So, how do you see the internal shifts 
happening um, as we get closer to 2012 and beyond. Oh, my gosh. I cannot tell. Well, you know, my own life has been just completely upended because of that. I, I've been really pushed to the limit, backed into corners. Um, you know, this is a time when people are challenging their identities, their relationships are being upended, they're losing jobs, they're shifting careers, their, you know, family issues are imploding. It just feels to me, and I've had people say this over and over again, I cannot tell you how many times I feel like the rug is being pulled out from under me. And I have that happening too, financially, emotionally, with relationships. But I see the bigger picture and I know what's happening. So I'm as as much as I hate being in it, I know why it's happening. It is again that resistance period where I, I kinda liken it to a woman giving birth. You know, it hurts like hell. Everything leading up to the birth is, is just awful. <laughs> there are some women that love being pregnant, but you know what? It's a pain in the ass. The the process of birth is unbelievably painful. Even if you have a C-section, because I did and it was incredibly painful. And yet when the labor is over and and you know, something comes down that birth canal and is born in its new life, that's what we're going through. Everybody I know is coming down the birth canal. <laughs> And the labor pains are getting so intense for some people. I know people who are having, you know, unbelievable financial challenges that they didn't have before. Um, just challenges with their identity, with their religious beliefs. Relationships are being overturned, ended, um, you know, challenge put under the microscope. Health issues, oh boy, that's a big one. And so, again, I think what's happening is the complacency has been shaken up. It's like you take that snow globe and you pick it up and you shake it up, and that's where we are now. The snow hasn't settled to the bottom yet. It's still all floating around. It's happening to me. It's happening to everybody I know. If people can see the bigger picture and, and you know, hang tight through it, they're going to come out changed. They're going to come out authentic. That's another thing I believe is that we're, we're being called upon to strip away anything that isn't really authentic because I think a lot of us have been living with masks, living lies. We're not even who we were meant to be. We're who our parents told us to be, who society conditioned us to be. Um, and I think this is a time for authenticity, but it's not an easy process. Now, as the snow is hovering inside the snow globe, and some of the people walking on the street aren't really sure where to go or what to do. Exactly. What kind of advice can you can you give them, you know, about something oh, wow. simple like that they can do? I always tell people to look within and go in with go inside, but I know for a lot of people that sounds ridiculous because they don't know how to do that. They don't know which voice they can trust. And I, you know, ultimately, I think the inner wisdom knows exactly what you need to be doing. But I think if it's really hard for people to accept that at this point, then it becomes reaching out to other people who they trust, who are going through the same thing, talking, you know, getting out, expressing the fears, um, whether it's like-minded people, you know, your friends or a book club or or a metaphysical group or what have you getting out of the isolation and not necessarily doing it on the Internet. I think it has to be face-to-face. 
Um, but my first thought is always shut down all of the outside distraction and look within. I just do really realize how hard that is for most people today. We're being trained to look at everything outside of us instead of looking in. So if that is too difficult at this point, start by asking for help. Somebody is bound to be able to show you a great technique, whether it's meditation or running or, you know, screaming therapy, a a great way to kind of get in touch with yourself if you've forgotten how to do that. So, Marie, what are are some of the tools um, or modalities that that – are part of your daily practice or or part of your life that have really assisted you on your journey? I used to meditate. <laughs> I wish I still <laughs> did. Um, I, I sometimes do. I pray a lot, but I pray proactively. I don't believe in praying and asking. I believe in praying and declaring. And, I, and it's like a spiritual mind treatment. I learned how to do that. I actually was a New Thought minister. I was trained through Religious Science Church and you know, I learned how to do praying the right way where you really are conditioning and training your mind, your intention, your focus. Um, I'm I'm getting into running, which I love, because it's a great way, I think, for the physical and the mental to come together. I love to read fiction. It's my escapism. It rejuvenates my imagination and gets me excited about who I am as a storyteller and a, a writer. Um, I love just hanging out with my kid and watching dumb, stupid TV shows. Believe it or not, I think that probably refreshes my spirit more than anything when we watch SpongeBob together and crack up. <laughs> I think laughing is so, so important. I try to do that a lot. <laughs> but I think for, for you know, people people always think, oh, we have to, I have to do some kind of strict spiritual thing. I have to go to an ashram. You know, that's wonderful if you can afford it, but... I think it can be anything. People walk, people run, people go out in nature, they hike, they cook. Oh, I know so many people who have spiritual experiences cooking. Now, I'm a terrible cook. I'd rather eat. But, you know, spending time with animals or volunteering, I think there's a million ways people can, you know, tune out and tune in. and (laughs) And it really just is like, well, what makes you happy? What makes your spirit sing? Do it. Yeah, and I was going to say it's it's just that thing. Follow your bliss, whatever that is. Yeah, yeah. Paint, you know, draw, shoot marbles. I don't know. Whatever makes you laugh and forget the troubles of the world and makes you feel better, because then you're going to go into the problems of your life in a much better mental space. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Now you're you're. I take it that the. Um, the, the the film business is a new um, endeavor for you. Is that correct? Actually, no. I actually started oh. out when I was in my 20s. Um, I was living in L.A., and I was pitching projects, and I optioned a couple of scripts, and I hated it. I hated <laughs> the um, sell-your-soul aspects of the film industry, of being a screenwriter at the time. The funny thing is, is now that I'm older... And I'm working with a producer director, and we're doing an independent film. It's you know I'm coming at it now from a whole different place because I don't have to sell my soul. You know I know who I am. I know I'm talented. I know my worth. I don't care. You know. And I always wondered when I was in my 20s, why can't I make this happen? Why won't this happen? And I was just trying to force something that wasn't going to make me happy. Um, it's a very it's a very backstabbing, grueling industry, as are many. 
but I got the experience of how to write a screenplay and and how and I'm co-producing now and I learned a lot then that is serving me now and you know my dream was always to come back full circle to fiction and that's kind of where I'm going so I I just again it's another signpost on that path of mine I love that now tell us about the um the the film that's in development now It's called 19 Hertz and it is a paranormal science fiction thriller <laughs> sort of transcends genres there it uh it's actually based on real scientific research that larry flaxman and i did for a book we wrote called the resonance key which talks about the power of sound and resonance vibration and uh, the creative power the creative energy that it has and it refers 19 hertz refers to what's called the ghost frequency of infrasound, and there's been a lot of unusual experiments done with infrasound um, and the effect it has on human physiology. And what we did is we took that basic research and we made a nice sort of science fiction twist to it. So we have a story that is actually based on real research, but of course, you know, has all the fun of a science fiction paranormal thriller. So it's exciting. I actually option to the same producer director a couple of other projects one of which is sort of my um you know my heart project which is the life of man of war the greatest racehorse that ever lived and i when i was little was obsessed with him i wanted to be man of war i don't know why <laughs> um, and another science fiction project called twilight child that we also have a tv show spinoff for so i like to kind of throw things out there and see what what hits yeah, what I love about your story is it appears that, you know, almost everything hits. Now, that's probably well, just me sitting here looking at all the things <laughs> I've doing. I've a lot of and, stuff out there. <laughs> right, right. That's where I was going to go with it. But uh, so, great lesson here for the rest of us, you know, throw as much out there as you, you possibly can. I cannot tell you how many friends I have or how many people come to me and email me. And I love to help people because there's nothing special about me. I am a normal person. And people say, how did you do this? How did you do this? And I say, I just did it. You know, I didn't sit around for years wondering how to do it because I think people will come up with any excuses. But but that's been my biggest uh, belief is that you don't you never write just one thing and bank on it. That will break your heart. You you keep going, you keep going, you put out as much material as you can, and eventually, you know, if you're talented, and if you work that hard, I'm sure you will be, something will hit. And then what tends to happen is whoever buys it or, or you know, when, when you have interest in something, all of a sudden they want to know what else you've done. So all of that past work is not wasted. I mean, it's either done to make you better or you come back to revisit it if you'd like later on when you become successful. So I always tell people, never, oh, I hear these people, oh, I have a novel I've been working on for 50 years. It's like, oh, good Lord, at 50 years I would have written 20 novels. <laughs> <laughs> Throw them all out there with attached TV, you know, because you really have to. In this world now you have e-books, <gasps> so everybody's a writer now. So the right. competition is just so much more um that you got to just get the work out there and no excuses. Yeah, I mean that's key. That's I mean I guess that's key for everything. Yeah. You know, if you have a desire to do it, the only one that's going to hold you back is you and just oh, you just need to do it. 
Yeah, the so, worst thing people are going to say is no, and and you know, and then you keep going if you really believe in it. But also the thing is, is you're going to spend the same amount of time not doing it that you would have spent doing it. You might as well go for it. Right. Now, what did you learn in researching and writing The Resonance Key? Oh, I will tell you that of all the books I've written, with the exception of science, just because it, for the time that it came out, it was so groundbreaking, the most important book that I've done has been that book. It's the the least seller <laughs> because it's a very difficult book for the public to understand what it's about. Um, it's What it was is uh, we took some of the concepts in science. We took things like resonance, the idea that vibrational frequency could be the fund- fundamental mechanism of creation. Uh, we took the idea that sound could be have a creative power. And look at the Bible. Before there was light, there was the word. I mean, come on. Everywhere you look in ancient cultures, sound, acoustics, resonance, played a huge role, and yet this stuff has been so ignored. So Larry and I, we kept thinking, we have to write about resonance, you know, the R word. we got to get this out there. And we got the book out there. It was a very difficult book to pitch. My publisher probably thought, are you people crazy? How are we going to sell this? It didn't sell very well, and yet it is probably the book that we are the most respected for because of, of the research that um, is that we put out there. So in other words, it was more of a book that ended up being written for our colleagues than for the public. And the other day I did an event here in San Diego. I did a speaking event, and I had a producer, young producer come up to me, and we started a conversation. He said, oh, I'm working on a documentary on ancient civilizations and the, their use of sound. And I said, oh, <laughs> here, take a copy of my book, The Resonance Key. I wrote all about that years ago. You know, and it's just so great that the R word is getting out there. To to Larry and I, and now other people, of course, are starting to sort of come on the bandwagon. If we want to get down to the most basic foundational layer of reality, it vibrates. And it has a resonant quality, a resonant frequency, or many of them. You know, string theory, same thing. So the idea that resonance and vibration and even sound to some aspect can possibly be behind how you create something out of nothing, you know, that that is just something we really felt compelled to put out there. That's fascinating. Now, it just occurred to me, I mean, these 12 books in the last 10 years, and you're doing an awful lot of research, and so you're learning a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you must experience, depending on the book, some some pretty big changes in your perception of reality or, or how oh, life plays out. Talk to us a little bit or give us some examples you know, based on the book or something about, you know, what big something changed in your life or or how you approach life differently based on what you learn from a certain book? I will tell you the biggest biggest influence that came out of all of the research was my discovering the work of David Bohm, who is uh, between Joseph Campbell and David Bohm, I would say those are probably the two great minds that influenced me the most. 
with with David Bohm, who's a, a physicist, very instrumental in development of quantum physics, his idea of what reality was was mine. And I never heard a scientist put it into words the way that he did and make it okay to talk about the fact that there are different levels. And he believed that there were three and how they worked and resonance actually being part of the mechanism through which they worked. Um, what it really did for me, it came not, not only did I come from a scientific background, because I grew up, again, just immersed in science, but I also got uh, came from a metaphysical background because it's something that I had studied for years and years on my own. I had always wanted to see the two come together. I knew that they were the same thing. I knew it, just different jargon, different lingo, lingo you know, different um, the way that you describe different aspects of science. In metaphysics, you call it something else. The zero-point field in science becomes the kingdom of heaven or the akasha in metaphysics and religion. I knew all this stuff was the same, but I needed validation. So as the research progressed, to get that validation from minds far greater than mine was life-changing. I can now tell you that 90% of reality, if not more, possibly even 100, goes on on an invisible level. And we really are living behind a veil of illusion that every now and then some of us get to peek, you know, Outside the veils, some are, are luckier than others and how many times they get to do that. Some people never do, which I think is tragic. But, yeah, it's funny because people say, oh, you write about science, you must really be against any kind of religious or spiritual ideas. And I'm like, no, no, no. The more I research and write about science, the more spiritual I become. And that's the biggest thing is realizing that you can go read uh, uh, the Bible or you know the the any kind of the book of the dead any kind of ancient text the hermetica and then you can read about quantum physics and theoretical physics and they're talking about the same stuff that's pretty mind blowing absolutely absolutely now you have a radio show mhm how long I have you had it? Dreamland. Well, Dreamland Radio, which is Whitley Stryber, um, who wrote Communion and uh, several other wonderful nonfiction and fiction books, he and his wife Anne asked me to co-host every now and then, and it's really fun. I, I do one every maybe two months or so. I co-host a show. It's really tough. You guys have a hard job because you got to make sure that the guests can fill the time and that you have enough questions and that you can keep the conversation going. I had no idea how hard it was to be <laughs> on the other side of the mic. And, you know, I panic the day before a show. I go into just a total panic thinking, oh, my God, do I have enough? Do I know what to say? What if I – and, you know, they always say, well, read the book, read it through quickly. Oh, no, 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 I read it like 20 times so that I can really talk to the people. I've never done a bad show, but I do. I really um, I really appreciate how tough it is to interview other people. It is tough. Boy, now I'm a little stressed. <laughs> <laughs> no, you guys are great. You know, it's great, too, because you guys have each other to play off of if there's a dead spot with your guest. I've been really lucky that I haven't had to interview anybody yet. I think Ann and Whitley know how to help me choose my guests. 
because I, you know, I can fill the space. I'm, I'm a talker, as you may have figured out. Um, <laughs> but you know, they're, they've told me, and other radio show hosts have told me about having guests that just they answer in one word, and it's like, oh, how are we going to fill an hour? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and so I panic, but they always end up being the most gracious guests and the most wonderful conversations. I thought about having my own show on a weekly basis, but I I can't swing it with the writing and the sh- the radio that I do and my son's activities and things. I just it's a lot of planning. It's a lot of hard work. Yeah, and it's a lot of fun. I love that you know here you are um, with Doctor Dream and and Ilya on Dream Reality New Earth Radio, and that you occasionally get to co-host. Dreamland Radio. I mean, I love Dreaming. the. I love it. I love the whole dream. Uh, I know. Sequence showing up. <laughs> it's so dreamy. <laughs> it's <laughs> it really is. <clears throat> now, um, so I imagine you stay pretty close to um, Southern California, and you're not doing um, a lot of traveling with uh, with a ten year old in school and things like it's that. It's hard. Like- yeah, I don't travel too often. I have to tell you that I don't get invited to talk too often because this is this is really kind of strange. But um, because I'm a female who talks a lot about science, I tend to not get invited to a lot of conferences. So when I do, it's either metaphysical or paranormal. But um, I'm going to try to do a little bit more in 2012. I have a couple of really big ones coming up. And what happened, too, is that a lot of people like myself who are not being asked to do a lot of events, we're, we're kind of coming together and say, you know what, let's do our own. So we have a, I have a big event that I think will be in Dallas. We're trying to find a central location with some of the top names in the paranormal, UFO, metaphysics, science, everything you can think of. We're all trying to bring together a real cutting-edge conference. Um, So I'll get to – I probably will be one of the only females there, but it'll be fun. So, yeah, because of the the, having the sun and not wanting to travel a lot, but also just the opportunities are usually given to people that have those three little letters after their name, you know, Ph.D. Right. Yeah. Interesting. And um, you must have been a really good student in school, were you? Well, <laughs> um, I kind of coasted because I knew <laughs> I knew what I wanted to do. I was the one in English class sitting in the back reading a novel behind my English book. <laughs> I got really good grades, but I did not make that much of an effort. The, the my sister of course was the straight A you know 4.0 I dropped out of college because I knew what I wanted to do and I didn't want to waste my parents money anymore and I was selling consistently and my write, creative writing professor had never sold anything so <laughs> but no I you know my son is really bright he gets really good grades I loved journalism I was my the editor in chief of the newspaper and those kind of things really captured my attention but everything else, except for the hard science classes, which I loved, I mean, I did, you know, I did the best I could, but I just always had this feeling that I want to get out of here and go do what I want to be doing, which is writing. And I shouldn't say that to any kids that might be listening. But <laughs> I, I'm, I'm really impressed with your dedication to your craft. Um, well, thank you. And and just hearing how you 
describe what you do and how you do it and um it just there there's there's aspects of what I believe that it takes for you that that aren't quite up my alley like um like real discipline. <laughs> I'm so not disciplined though. You get in You're a groove. Kidding. <laughs> No, what it's called is having a contract hanging over your head. That's the best discipline there is. But you know what? It's For me, it's more desire than discipline. Because if I didn't want to do it, I am the most undisciplined human being on earth. Um, but if I want to do it, then I'll do it. So I'm lucky right, well, that just, I want to do you it. Gave yeah. me, you gave me just tremendous hope right there in what you said. Because I... You know, when I get up and speak, I, I tell people, you know, if I can do this and 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 live this life that I live and and be living my dreams and and uh, you know, be in my passion, anyone can do it because I'm not disciplined and I'm not, you know, I'm I'm no more special or incredible than Absolutely. anyone else, which is exactly what you said yeah. basically earlier in the interview. And I'm just like, and now you're saying you're not disciplined. I'm like. Wow, Maria no is kind of a reflection of me, just much more accomplished. <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean, and I try to tell that to people too, because they that you know they'll use that as an excuse. I am not disciplined. Well, neither am I. I procrastinate. Well, guess what? I'm the queen of procrastination. <laughs> but again, if you have the desire to do it, you'll do it. Even if right. you wait for the last minute, you'll do it. it, it you have to feed the, into the desire and tap into that. Well, you are quite inspiring uh, for me this evening. Now, uh, for for the final question for you this evening, I I I'd like to know that um, if if you had a short amount of time um, left, let's say, mm-hmm. just to put it in a, a picture that maybe can can make sense of of how to ask this question. Um, and you wanted to impart um, some of the some of the greatest lessons that you've learned, um, say to your child or to anyone. Well, just give us a few of those. I mean, you've written about oh, so wow. much, researched mm-hmm. so much, and and I'm just like, I, I just want you to share some of those pinnacle, like sort of found things that have been that have become part of the foundation of who you are or how you approach reality? Wow. You know, I probably the most important one is do not ignore your destiny. Don't fight it. Don't ignore it. Don't resist it. Um, so many people, oh, I wish I could have done this. I wanted to be this. I always felt compelled to do this. I, I, I don't want to die with regrets. So whatever I can do to not do that, and to me, that means fulfilling the purpose that I was put here for and staying constantly focused on that. Um, I want to die empty of the ideas and stories I want to tell. And I think if you have a gift or a talent, get it out there. You know, what is that famous saying? Don't die with the song still in your heart. Mm-hmm. When you get knocked down, pick your damn ass back up, <laughs> dust it off and move on. No matter how bad it hurts, cry as you move on. <laughs> you know, I do that all the time. Um, I'm really sensitive. I'm really emotional. I wear my heart on my sleeve. I'm always hurt by something, but I get up and I, I cry and I keep moving, because you're always going to get to the next stop on the on the path, and it'll be better. And learn from everything, 
and later on you can you know look back and see how the puzzle pieces fell into place and they will they always do even though it doesn't feel like it at the time that's probably well, it oh, i'm i'm thrilled that um that your schedule allowed you to be here with us oh thank you it's been so fun <laughs> i'm really i'm really inspired by you um it um of course has brought up some of my stuff about procrastination and, <laughs> and this, that and the other, but I really um I'm I'm I I look forward to meeting you in person one day and I'm sure that will happen. Oh, um in that we're both too. here. And stay in touch, of course. Yeah, if you need a shot in the arm, I'll give it to you. <laughs> yeah, and I know that. And I was thinking here, I was like, this is a great radio broadcast, oh, but I, I think have, I need to call her. <laughs> i got to tell you, I've gotten so many friends to write their first books and their first novels. I should be an agent. Honest to God, I think about that as a second career because <laughs> I love to, to get people off their butts and doing what they want, they're dreaming of doing. There's no reason not to do it. Well, it's just, it's really encouraging and very inspiring, just your life and what you've done and a single parent and 12 books and 10 years and all oh, the other tired. writings <laughs> and everything. No, I'm just like, I'm all, you know, my vision of you is just you with this bright aura all around you and, and lots of energy and everything else. And, um, you know, bless you for all you oh, do. Thank you. So much um, you make me cry. <laughs> and just sending you so much um love and light uh um in regards to your father's illness and everything. I just thank can so, so relate and touch into that with you. Um but this has been a, a great broadcast and um really honored to to have had you on the show. Thank you. It has been absolutely wonderful and inspiring for me too. It really is. The energy goes both ways. Well, thank you very much. Look forward to connecting again. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Have a wonderful night, gentlemen. Thank Take you care. so much, Marie. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Wow. <laughs> we did I it mean, again. Wow. She's something else. This is this is amazing. I want to touch on a couple things because we've got about 60 seconds left. Um <laughs> Tomorrow is Wednesday, the 16th of November, and we'll, um, Laura Eisenhower and I, with Peter Sterling and Brad Johnson channeling Adronis um, and others, will be at the Temple of Visions in downtown Los Angeles. And then on Sunday um, afternoon, um, half-day conference at the Temple of Light in Lake Forest, California, Orange County, again, uh, Laura Eisenhower, myself, uh, Brad Johnson, and um, these are going to be some great events. You can go to touroflove.com to uh, get all the pertinent information, um, and we'd love to just see people out there. Um, Ilya, anything on your end before we cut everyone loose? Just sending everyone lots and lots and lots of love and joy and Everyone, just follow your bliss, and all is well, and all will fall into place. It's all about the love, people, and just get out there and share all that love that is abundantly available in your heart. And uh, we'll be back next week with a, another incredible guest. Thank you so much for joining us, and good night. Blessings of love. Good night. <laughs>